we've been going through the book of Mark, and, and it is very um, interesting uh, just that, that we are bringing all of these things together about the core of our faith, the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection. And they're all just kind of coming together for us just because that's just where we're at in the text here as we come, as we're, we're finishing up Mark. So we're at chapter 16, verse 1 of Mark today. And, and let's read it together here. So uh, open up your Bibles and, and we'll read through it and then, then we'll kind of come back and, and look at a few points. So it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us for the, from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Verse 9, now when they rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And so we'll stop there, and, and in true form there with, with Mark, he's, he's to the point. He just kind of gives the, 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 the key things. He, he, he tends to not elaborate. The, the book of Mark, I hope we've enjoyed going through it. I certainly have been blessed just in studying and going through it. But Mark is just action point to action point to action point to action point. He, he, he gets right into these things. Now, so, so a couple of things. Let's, let's look at this. For one thing, when we think about the resurrection... One thing that we have to do, we have to reckon with is this, something happened. Something happened. Something major happened there. You know, and obviously as believers, we, we know what happened. We, we know that it was the resurrection, the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But wherever you sit with that, wherever you come in here today and you, you sit with that as you maybe wrestle with some of those things, I'm telling you, you've got to wrestle with it. Something happened. Something major happened. Something happened that changed the disciples. See, when they go to the tomb, the women go to the tomb, the disciples are done. Everybody's done. They're going to the tomb to, uh, to put spices on his body. He's dead. It's over. It's the closing chapter of this thing. It's just done, and they're going to anoint his body. They're going to put the spices on it, and then the tomb is going to be closed up, and that's it. And the disciples, the, 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 the men... They're nowhere to be found. They're just done. They're scared, hiding, you know. They're wondering what's going to come next, where their life is headed next. They've spent the last three years doing this whole thing. They thought it was going to go a certain way. I'm sure that they thought that Jesus was going to bring about a revolution, 
that, that the Roman occupation was going to be over with, that, that he was going to be victorious. You see, for the Jewish mindset, we've got to understand how bizarre this whole thing is. We want to believe we would be different, but we wouldn't be. We would be in exactly the same boat as them. The Jewish mindset on this thing was this idea that anybody who was hung on a tree is accursed. And for them to die, for this, the Messiah to die, something is wrong. Be, because, because the wicked are the ones who are supposed to, you know, the, the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the special one, he, he's, he's the one that, that is supposed to bring this all together, and he's the one who's, who's got a blessing on him. And, and now he's He's dead. And it says that, you know, it's the women that go to the tomb. Two things of, of, of importance with that. One, I just want to say, and is, is we were ta- Anna and I were talking, but, but just she was talking about how brave they are. These ladies are brave, right? Guys are nowhere to be found, right? They're, they're deferring things, as, as, which has kind of been a real problem with men since back in Genesis. Um, deferring our position and deferring what men ought to be doing. But anyway, the ladies are there, and, and they are going to care for the body. It's, it's a deeply intimate, personal thing, and, and the women are there, and, and they are, have got their spices. How scary it must have been to walk to the tomb, to know that there was a Roman guard that was, was there, and that, you know, they, they, who knows what will happen. The Romans weren't always nice people right? And they've killed Jesus. Being part of this whole movement isn't popular. It's not popular with the Jews, and it's not really popular with the Romans. But yet, here they are, and they're going forward, and they're wandering, even though they're like, how are we going to get the stone moved? How are we going to get the stone moved out of the way? But they're there, the other thing that we've got to point out with this is the idea that the women, and you've probably heard this, but it's worth revisiting, if you were just going to construct an account and you were just going to try to, to, to prove to the rest of the world that Jesus had risen from the dead, the first witnesses would not have been women. It just wouldn't have been. The reason is because it was very different for them. We, we struggle to understand what culture looked like for women of Jesus' day, but if you want to know maybe a short glimpse, maybe not exactly, but something that's fairly, uh, not closer, but look at some of the Middle Eastern countries today and look at how women are treated there. You see, Jesus brought dignity to women. He brought position. He, he reestablished the, the order that things were really meant to be in, and he allowed women to be the witnesses to his resurrection. But you see, if, if, if it wasn't just true... If this wasn't an eyewitness account, you would never put that in because you just lost all your credibility. But if you're writing something that's just true and you're writing from a place of we're just trying to give an account of what really happened, that's a huge proof, for one thing, of what really happened. So, so, so they go, and, and guess what? The thing that was going to be the huge obstacle, the stone has been rolled away. And that's the it's, the, it's the thing of the resurrection. You see, if this wasn't true, this, is, this now, the, the resurrection is everything about our faith. Because if it wasn't true, then 
Christianity would have faded into obscurity a long time ago. But something happened. Something changed. Something changed everybody and everything at that point. And, and I'm going to hold it. It's, it's the one thing. It's, it's the reality of the resurrected Jesus. I love the idea, too, that when the guy is in there, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter. Tell Peter that, that I, I'm alive and that, that this thing, it's, it's going to be okay. Just that, that special reach out to the one where, where Jesus knew where, where Peter sat and just, we talked about this. We talked about how, how Peter just, in, in what he had done in, in, in move, trying to move forward in his own self-will and his own abilities, had basically just compromised everything about his own moral values and his character, the way that he saw himself, because we just know that Peter saw himself as that guy who was going to have Jesus' back. He was going to stand till the end, and, and he was ready to do that. We saw for sure because he got his sword out, but then everything just kind of crumbled. And Jesus says, tell Peter. Let him know. So I think something that's kind of cool in that idea is just that, you know, sometimes it's that, that object, that thing that's in the way, that thing that we're like, I, I want to go, I want to go to Jesus, but, but, but there's just this thing. Or I want to serve him or, or whatever in our lives. And, and the, the cool thing about the resurrection is that it changes everything for us, that that stone has now been rolled away. And in our own lives, where, where we're questioning the reality of if I've been X and I've done X in my life, I've been this, I've fallen so short. But Jesus is like, hey, tell Try. Tell Anna, tell Dave, tell Mark, tell, tell every, tell, add it to it that I'm, I'm resurrected, that, that I'm alive. You see, and, and so... So Jesus is, is, is different in this sense, right? Jesus isn't like the other people in the Bible. We, we, we see the resurrection happen prior to this. We see that he's, he's raised a little girl. We've, we, we've seen Old Testament, Elijah's. We've seen people come to life before. But see, it's different because they, they came to life only to face death again. But Jesus is different. You see, Jesus is different because Jesus was eternal and he chose to die. For us, it's apportioned. All of us will meet our death unless the Lord comes and, and takes us and, and, and sweeps us up with him. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we see that, that Jesus, that in laying down his life, it wasn't this thing where death just came up and grabbed him and took him and pulled him away. No, this is part of a plan. And I want to remind us here this morning that God has a plan. That everything about what's going on, there is nothing that's tail spinning out, out of control. There, there's nothing that's going on that has now corrupted God's good plan for the world, for what he has in the end. And, and, and it's the thing about things like the book of Revelation. When we look at those things, sometimes we get fearful of those, but, but it shouldn't create fear in the believer. It should create hope in the believer. 
The whole thing about the book is really about hope. Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Revelation 1, 17, 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he lay his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus was the, all, the eternal creator of the universe who chose to enter into time, space, and history to take our place, to, to, to come and to, to provide the solution that you and I and nobody else could ever provide. He came to pay the penalty for sin, and, he, and it took God to pay the penalty for all of the sin of humanity. None of us could do that. But God entered into time, space, and history, and in doing so, he spoke human to us. I've told you this before, but I I spent 25 years training horses, and when I trained horses, I had to speak horse, because horses only speak horse. The problem with people and horses is that people start trying to speak people to horses, and they get mad at them and frustrated with them because horses don't respond to that. They don't get it. They don't think that way. They don't understand it. So we're like, you stupid, blah, blah, you know, just people get all upset. But you got to speak horse. You have to understand that. You and I, we have no other means or, or way of, of relating or understanding, but we speak human. And God came and he spoke human to us so that we could get it, so that we could understand it, so that, we could, so that he could relate to us. And so ultimately, so that he could take the sin, my sin, And take it to the cross and put it to death. He really put it to death. It's done. It's over with. We're told that that, that he has taken our sin. If we're in Christ, he's taken our sin. He's buried it at the bottom of the ocean. And he has chose to remember it no more. So sometimes we, we keep taking things back to him. We're like, well, yeah, but Lord... Forgive me, beg it for that one, for that thing. Forgive me. For, oh, that thing that keeps niggling at us. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. Because, because of what Jesus has done, when God looks at you, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you're in relationship to Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ imputed upon us. The word, the very word means that it's been placed in your account. It's a, it, it's a financial term that means that, that he's placed his righteousness. He's taken your and my perfectly good sin, perfectly bad sin, and he's put it to death and he's buried it and now he extends to us his righteousness. What a deal. What an amazing thing. So there are three points I want to point out a little bit here about this idea of resurrection. Then the first one is this, is that Jesus is vindicated in this. He's vindicated, and, and, and that's important. Um, he is declared righteous, and the reality of his vindication is that he died for our sins, not his. He had none. Which is an important thing, remember, especially if we were thinking in terms of Jewish culture and the struggle that they're going in as they try to wrestle with this idea 
of this suffering Messiah who's now died, who's now been accursed, who's been, who's been placed on the tree, accursed by God, uh, like we talked about, that God has now turned his back on him. Uh, he's cried out from the cross, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all eternity, there is aloneness. But it was for us. And so I just wonder how much of that starts to go through their mind as they're working this back out. They're, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this is the case, if he's resurrected, then that means something. That means that, that he's vindicated in the eyes of God. That, that when he was being put to death, when he died for sin, it wasn't for his sin. It was for somebody else's. It was for ours. And so this idea of, of Jesus' vindication is important for us. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, we're the beneficiaries. It, we're the ones who, who receive from this deal. We're justified. And you've heard the old adage, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Justified. Declared righteous. Seen as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. This is the position of the believer. We are forgiven. We're forgiven. You see, our fear of death and, and the fear of death that the world has, has so much to do with with, with, with the reality of sin in our lives. Because sin leaves us in this place of darkness. Sin leaves us in this place of questioning, of wondering, of, of, of what is going to happen when I leave here. What is what I've done here? What is going to be the meaning of that? Where's that, where's that headed? What is it going to mean when I leave here? And I've, if I've got this big sin debt, and I've never understood or or understood the gospel of grace and never received salvation, then death becomes an incredibly scary obstacle. And, and you see it. You, sometimes you go to the hospital and you, you, uh, you know, sometimes they call you in and they say, hey, will you, will you come and there's a person here and they're, they're, they're dying and will you, will you come and sit with them? And, 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 you, and, you, and you can almost always tell a believer from an unbeliever in, in how they go. That the peace that a believer has as they exit this world is very different from the anxiety that the unbeliever tends to have as they're leaving. We're forgiven. And the sting of death is taken away because of this, because of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a, a very old creed. This creed is, is a very significant creed also within the Bible and within the text and within our belief system. Paul gives this creed here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and he says that he delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So the understanding is that most likely Paul received this when he went to Jerusalem and he visited with Peter and, and the, the leaders of the church there. Paul's conversion and, you know, you, timelines, you know, we're, we're within a couple, three years, there's a lot of some different thought and arguments and different things that way. But, but roughly that puts Paul, that puts him very close. Some say that Paul roughly 
visited Jerusalem between 35 and 37. That's in very close proximity to these events, to the actual resurrection of Jesus. And so if Paul received it and he received uh, it then, then that means it was already happening, this creed, this, this understanding, this basics of the Christian faith. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that this is all going together, that, that, that God has a plan, that He had a plan with this and He has a plan with us. He has a plan with your life. He has a plan with mine. And we're the beneficiaries. We are the ones who have been given the inheritance because of this. Final point this morning is that we have hope. That we have hope. That we understand that that death doesn't get the final say. That in our lives and, and when we've experienced loss, and we lose loved ones, and we lose people, we have hope. We have hope for our own lives that, that there's something beyond here. Almost, most people almost universally have the idea and the understanding that there's, there's something more to it than this. And, and I'm just going to hold, like, wherever you're at this morning, if you can believe this, if you can believe that something happened back there, Let's forget about all the ancillary things within the Bible. There's, there, there's just tons of things that, that people go through this and they go, well, I don't know if I agree with that. And I don't know if I agree with that. And I don't know. Okay. But if you could agree with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we could start there, and that means something. That means something big. Because if that's the truth, if something happened back then that's changed the world, that is continuing to change the world today, this thing that can't be stopped, it can't be suppressed, the more you mash it down, the more it squirts out all over the place, it can't be stopped. I know in our country they're saying, you know, well, well, you know, boy, now it's, you know, UK and United States, it's less than half of the people, and, you know, they're the nuns, and there's all, it, don't, don't even worry about that stuff. God has got a plan. And he's doing something in that. And sometimes God's plan leads us to more difficult times before he unleashes something brand new and his spirit unleashes something new and he he begins a whole thing. But God is at work and he's doing something. And so we're not to, our job description never changes. We're going to talk about that next week when we sum this up in the Great Commission. Our job is to make disciples. doesn't matter what's going on out there. Doesn't matter what's going on politically. Doesn't matter how bad things are in our world. Doesn't matter how bad crime is or our political corruptness or any of those kinds of things. Our job as the church is to continue to push in and to make disciples. It never changes. It's a simple job. Just keep doing that. Keep replicating the faith and help people to be able to go out and then replicate the faith themselves. But we have hope. And this hope is an ancient hope. It's the hope that Job in chapter 19, verse 25, stood up and in the midst of his struggles, in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering in his life, the things that he didn't ask for and the things that he didn't understand, he declared this. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand upon the earth and that though my flesh decay, yet in my flesh. My eyes will see him and not another. 
That verse is on my daughter's tombstone. And my place is right next to her. And one day we will both stand on that place, on that ground, right here in Sheridan, Wyoming. And we'll rise up out of the grave and we will proclaim that our Redeemer lives. And that because He lives, we do too. See, the hope of the believer is the resurrection. The hope of the unbeliever is the gospel. The unbeliever needs the gospel. But when we have the gospel, we have salvation, we have a whole hope in the resurrection. The hope isn't, our hope isn't here. If your hope is here, you're in trouble because this is going to let you down. Hard times are coming. Struggles are coming. Suffering is coming in our lives. I don't know what that looks like for each of us individually, but I know that if we stay here long enough, it's going to happen. That we have pain, we have difficulty. These things come, but our hope is that it's not, our hope isn't here. That's how Job stood on that place, and he made that declaration that his Redeemer lived, and it's bigger than the struggle. It's more than the problems. That his promises eclipse every struggle and every hard time that we'll ever conceive or live through. The hope for the believer is the resurrection. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the big question. Does the spirit of God dwell in you? Because this is the gospel is this, is that it, 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 apart from Christ, if we've never received forgiveness, if we've never come into relationship with Jesus, then we're dead in our sins. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The final thing that we have is that we have purpose, church. We have purpose. You have a purpose. God has a plan, and he wants that plan to play out through your life and through my life and through the life of this church. We both individually have plans that when we go out of this place, that, that, that there are things that God is going to put in front of you. And if you're not noticing things in front of you, which I wasn't recently, and I recognize I haven't been in prayer for that, ask God to give opportunity in your life. Ask God to open those doors for those people that, that, you, that you're longing to talk to or have a spiritual conversation with. Don't try to kick the front door down. Just ask him. Ask him if he'll open the door and, and be willing to walk through it when it does. God has a plan. He has, he has things for us to do. It's changed. Everything has changed. It's all different because of the resurrection. Colossians 3 tells us this, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's an economy out there. Remember, we talk about this, but there's an economy that's, that, that's up here. It's above the horizon, and that's, that's God's kingdom. It's his purposes. This is the place that we're supposed to be thinking. It's how our mind is supposed to operate. Is that as being members of the kingdom, 
recognizing that there's a king with a kingdom, that we live in the higher economy. We don't allow ourselves, hopefully, to be trapped down here in the lower economy, believing and trusting in the things of the world, subjecting ourselves to the economy of this world, because whatever economy you subject yourself to, out of that economy, you'll reap. You'll pull out of that economy. So God is calling us to to push through the lower economy and up into the higher kingdom economy that he has. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't always make sense because it's the place where if you want to receive, you have to give. You want to live, you have to die. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. It's upside down and it's backwards, but the return is great. So you don't want to subject yourself to the economy of this world because the economy of this world gives nothing that's really gratifying. It, it, it leaves us grasping for more. You, you catch it, but then it's gone again, and you chase it again, and you chase it. It's just about chasing things. And ultimately, that economy will yet let you and I down. If we make it about stuff and houses and cars and finances and all of those things, death will be the great equalizer. But if we have him, regardless, we, if you have him, you're good. But we got to remember that we have a purpose while we're here. We have a calling on our lives. That we are to seek the things that are above. Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. That's why he didn't just take you. It's why at the moment of salvation, you didn't just disappear, because God has a plan. He has more for you. He has more for me. I don't care how old you are. If you're drawing breath, he has more for you. He has things for you to do. But let's don't make the mistake of thinking this. God isn't calling you to just go out and do a bunch of work. He's not calling you to go out and volunteer for everything around. He's calling you to be rooted and abide in Him. And when we're abided and we're rooted into the right place, and we're trusting and believing and we're living for this higher economy, when when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all things are added and they're added in the right place and the right proportions into our lives. But when we do that, when we're, when we're diligent to seek his face, to find him, to be rooted into him, to be worshipful, to be asking, then out of that, it's him who sends everything right up the roots and, and out to the ends of the branches and all of a sudden fruit just shows up. It's just a part of it. So if you need this, it's not that hard. Romans 10, 9 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to tell you that if you're wrestling with that here this morning in any way, that God isn't calling you to figure out everything in here before you trust him. He's simply saying, are you willing to recognize that he's a king with a kingdom? Are you willing to to give everything to him? Are you willing to, to walk with him? Are you willing to let him be the Lord of your life? Are you believing and understanding that the cross is the place where your sin died and it was buried? And do you believe in your heart that something happened back then? 
that God raised him from the dead. And it's so simple, it's almost hard to believe. It says, if you really do that, that you'll be saved. That that's it. That you really actually, honestly, you don't bring anything with you as much as we want to. As much as we want to bring a great resume and all kinds of stuff and whatnot and accomplishments and did this and didn't do that or whatever, that's not what it's about. It's not about what you've done. It's about what's been done for you. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that, uh, that you are a God who saves. We thank you that you're a God who only borrowed a grave because you didn't really need one, because you are alive forevermore. We're thankful that you have a plan. We're thankful that, that, that in this, that we can live in this place of forgiveness, that we don't have to fear death. And we also don't have to live subject to this world and the economy of it, and, and, and we don't have to chase after things like the rest of everyone does, that we, we can actually have a different perspective, and, and we can trust and, and know you. We can walk with you. We can, we can, uh, we can be used for your purposes. So, Lord, I'm just praying over each and every person here today that as they, if they go out, that they would ask and they would begin to, in their week, ask, God, open a door. Open a door for a spiritual conversation with, with these people and that, and that we would be prayerful for those in our families and, and those friends of ours that, that don't know you. Help us to, uh, to live our lives with the purpose that you have for us and help us to be on purpose to, to, to walk that out. We give you all the glory and all the praise today. Lord, we come with nothing. And we're grateful that we don't have to come with anything. That you've done it all. And that you've done it because you're good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.